Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 24 as we come to the conclusion of this uh, book, the book of Joshua, we will look at the, the remaining verses both tonight and then conclude Lord willing, next week, Sunday night, we're going to begin reading in verse 16 this evening. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us up and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. They said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, The Lord our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put it in place as statues and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for he has heard all the words of the Lord that he has spoken to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. You may be seated. There's a story told about a pig and a hen. One day we're walking by a church, and on the marquee of the church, it had the title of the upcoming sermon. And the title was a question, what should be done for the poor? It's got the pig and chicken thinking. What is it that could be done? And what could we do individually? All of a sudden, the chicken got a great idea. He said, we could help the poor by giving a ham and egg breakfast. Oh, no, you don't, says the pig. For you, that's just a contribution. But for me, it means total commitment. I don't think that's one of Aesop's fables. But it probably could be. It's a humorous story that makes a point. What's the level of commitment that we are willing to make? 
It's easy to make a contribution, but it is much more difficult to make a whole life commitment. And Joshua in this last chapter has brought all of Israel together in this place called Shechem. And he is pleading with the people to make a whole life, whole heart commitment. If I could press that story even a little bit fuller, he's asking them to go whole hog, as they would say. That they would give their lives and dedication to God. And to do so, they must put away their other gods. They must put away their other loyalties. And they must consider the cost in doing so. So that they can renew the covenant. God would never demand anything less than a full and complete commitment. And yet, even though Joshua presses them, they are adamant that they indeed will serve the Lord and Him only. And so the covenant is renewed there in Shechem. And Joshua's words ring true today as well. Our commitment must be no less. In fact, we have all the more reason to believe and trust in our Lord. And so I want to look at this passage in three points. Covenant commitments, covenant cost, and then finally covenant renewal. First, covenant commitments. If you remember the context here, this is a speech that Joshua has been giving to all of Israel, and they are doing it, as has been mentioned, in this place called Shechem. And you should be familiar by now with this place called Shechem, but if you are not, you remember that in Genesis chapter 12, that this was the first stop for Abraham on the tour of the Canaanites. This is the place where God said to Abram, this will be the land that I have promised for your descendants. This is the place that they will possess. This is the place where they will be a great nation. And through them, I'm going to bless all people. And now over 500 years later, what do we read? What do we see? We see Joshua and all of the people there in that land. And that land being their own. And it is indeed a great nation that they have been made into. And we have seen that God's plans are so much different than our own. During that 500 years from the time that God promised to Abraham to this fulfillment, you might read the narrative and wonder, is God actually going to do that which he has promised to do? Even for Abraham, there was times of questioning. Remember, Abram then had his name changed to Abraham, and yet he had to wait until he was 100 years old before he had his first descendant, that promised child, that of Isaac. And even then, it was just a down payment, so to speak, on the promise that was made so long before. But yet, even through that one descendant, we see that God truly did keep his promise and made them into a great nation. And he did so, in a sense, while they were slaves, slaves in Egypt. And so Joshua, at the beginning of chapter 24, is recounting the covenant history. And he is saying to all of them, look, God has been faithful. Look around. You see that God 
has indeed made us a great nation. He has given us this land, and we are blessed. He has done exactly what he said he would do, that which he had promised to Abraham, and he will continue to be faithful. And then as we saw last week, as a result, Joshua says to them, because of this, in the light of God's faithfulness, will you be faithful to your God? Will you choose, choose this day whom you will serve? And in fact, he puts the options out there for him. He says, you can either choose the true and living God, or you can choose the gods of the nation, the gods that are idols that are made out of wood and stone, those that are dead idols, the defeated gods of the Egyptians or the Amorites. And Joshua, I think, as we saw last week, makes a little bit fun of those gods. He says you can choose those gods, but remember they are defeated. You are living in the land of these people that worshipped these gods that are now destroyed. But hey, if you think that is what is best for you, then go ahead. If you think it's evil to serve the Lord God, then serve these other gods. But indeed, if you think it is foolish, then put those gods away and serve the true and living God. The one that has proven to be the living God and the the good and faithful God. The one that has given you this land. You must fear and serve him alone. And so choose. And Joshua, being the preeminent leader as he is, leads by example. He says, my choice is already made. For me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua, I think, was ready to stand alone if necessary. Remember, this would have been the first time that he was in the minority Remember, Joshua was one of the 12 spies that went out to spy the land. And only Joshua and Caleb said that the land has been given to us. Let us go up and take hold of it. And the 10 others said that they could not. And so Joshua went against the majority and stood with the minority that was faithful to God. And so I wonder as he stood there this day, as he recounts the covenant history and says, choose this day, whom you will serve. I wonder if he thought, am I the only one that's going to choose the Lord? Am I going to be in the minority again? And Joshua, again, being a great leader, was willing to do that which was right because he knew that was the right choice. But thankfully, this time, he is not alone. As we read in the very beginning of this passage, as we've looked at it tonight in verses 16 and 18, the people give a, a wonderful testimony. And they say, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. In fact, the people are almost incredulous that Joshua would, would suggest that they would even turn to any other gods. As they say, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord. Forsake him for what? To serve other gods? No, not us. No, not ever. And what is probably most encouraging is not just their words, but they recount the history that Joshua has just 
recited to them. As I mentioned, Joshua has given the covenant history in the beginning verses of chapter 24. In a sense, he has preached to them. And as a preacher, sometimes you wonder, are people actually listening? Are people getting this? Or is this going in one ear and out the other? Are their eyes glazing over? Could they give a summary at the back doors at the end of service? Oftentimes I'll do this with my own children. I will kind of quiz them on the way home, on the drive home. It's always difficult to be a a PK. You're never off the hook. And sometimes they're pretty good. They, They get the majority of it. Sometimes I think there's been too much doodling going on and not enough listening. Because surely it's never a bad sermon, right? But Joshua here must have been encouraged because the people recite this history back. To do him. They say we're going to serve the Lord. Why? Well, they give several reasons. We're going to serve him because what he has done for us. And in fact, I think they recite the, the three points of Joshua's sermon. If you look at verse 17, the beginning portion, they say, This Lord our God. He brought us out and our fathers from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They understand, unlike their forefathers there in the desert who wanted to return to Egypt, remember? Saying we would be better off if we were slaves in Egypt than to go into this land and be defeated there. They had little faith. But now this new generation that the Lord has brought up understands that no, God brought us out of the house of slavery. And that this place is much greater than Egypt. They go on to say at the last section of verse 17. That through great signs he has preserved us in all the way that we went. And among all the people through whom we passed. They say he has kept us for 40 years, traveling through the desert. He's provided all of our needs then. And then they go on with the third point. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. They say, look at what God has done now, now that we have crossed over the Jordan River. It was not us who did it, but it was by the strength of, of the Lord. It was the Lord who drove out these nations and has given us this land. It was the Lord from beginning to end. And this is a good summary of what Joshua has just recounted. The people seemingly understand. They're saying, let me number the ways that the Lord has been faithful to us. And so as they say at the very end, therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. They come to the right conclusion as Joshua says to them, choose this day whom you will serve. I will serve the Lord, but who are you going to choose? Who are you going to serve? They say, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. He has been faithful in all of these 
ways. And let me ask you this night, and let me pause and say, do you do this in your own life? Do you recount the Lord's faithfulness to you? Perhaps before you put your head on the pillow at night, can you think back on that day and think of all the ways that God has been faithful to provide all that you stood in need of, all the ways that he blessed you, and all the ways that he's blessed you in your your life and in your family. I think that is a a good and, and biblical practice to engage in, that much of the Songs and prayers of the the Psalms are almost exclusively made up of this practice as they recount God's faithfulness. And then that leads us to the same conclusion as the Israelites do. Why would we serve any other God? This is the God that has been good and faithful and true to us. We will serve the Lord for he is our God. And so the people give the right answer and they come to the right conclusion. They are willing to make this commitment. But second, we see this covenant cost. Look at Joshua's response. You think Joshua would have been overwhelmed. He must have thought, wow, these people, they, they finally get it. They finally understand He must have been delighted at their response. He must have thought, with every eye closed, every head bowed, I see that hand, I see that hand. Look at that. All hands are raised up, dedicating their life to the Lord. He must have thought, my work is done. I can ride off in the sunset and... end my wonderful pastoral career, my leadership as the leader of this people. They have made the right answer. They have made the right response. But notice here, that is not Joshua's response. In fact, after all the people, by all indications, have given a good answer and say, we will serve the Lord. Notice what Joshua says in verse 19. He essentially says, no, you will not. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord. Joshua is not impressed with their zealous response. And you might think, Joshua, what are you doing here? Well, I think what Joshua is doing, again, demonstrating what kind of leader he is, he's pushing back just a little bit. He's really testing their commitments. To understand so that they understand what kind of commitment they are really making. And he goes on to say, This God whom you are pledging to serve, be reminded of who he is. As he says in verse 19, he is a holy God. Are you willing to live a holy life before him? This God is a jealous God. Are you willing to be exclusively devoted and dedicated to him? As we heard this morning, you can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can't be like the chicken in my opening story. 
willing to give a goodwill donation, a contribution, but not make that whole life dedication. Joshua says you cannot turn to the right or to the left. You cannot turn to serve other gods because God will not forgive you. And that's And he will bring judgment upon you. In the light of all the good that he has done for you, you must understand that you must now do good unto him and worship him exclusively. Joshua presses their commitment. Saying you need to understand before you just flippantly renew this covenant. And again, as I said, this seems somewhat shocking to us. Could you imagine this in a modern context with a televangelist or a a Billy Graham type? As he gives this rousing speech and he calls those to come forward to give of their life and the just as I am is playing and all these people begin to come forward and then the televangelist or the, the evangelist gets to the mic and says, all of you people need to go sit back down because you're not ready. You're not ready for this commitment. You're not ready for this type of dedication. You must think through this. You must think this over a little bit. Then maybe come back and come forward. I think that's exactly what Joshua does. And Joshua has good reason to doubt because he has seen this before. Not with these people, but with their forefathers. If you have a moment, turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. If you remember the context here, this is on Mount Sinai. As Israel gathers together, and this is the place where the Ten Commandments are given. We read of this, beginning in verse 3 of chapter 19. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called on him saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Notice, again, it's almost exact same as what Joshua did. Gathering the people together. Moses gathered the people together and said, Look at what God has done. Now are you going to obey God? And they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And it's only several days, maybe just a few years, that they are making a golden calf, making a golden image, even though they made this heart dedication to God, how quickly their hearts were changed to serve another God, which is not a God at all. And so you can understand here that Joshua, having seen that, having witnessed that, has reason to say, hold up. Understand what you are doing. And even though this is 
perhaps surprising to us. It should not be because this is exactly what Jesus did in his ministry as well. If you remember in Mark chapter 10, there's one prime example of this with the rich young ruler. There's several things that have shocked me about that story and perhaps you as well. That this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he comes running up and he even comes bowing down. And here is this prominent person. A ruler, one who's rich, one who's young. We would say that he hits every demographic target that you would want. And then you hear these words out of his mouth. Good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? You'd think that Jesus would be thrilled to have somebody coming to him and asking this wonderful question. After all the testing that the Pharisees put him in, seems like here is a good question. One that has a spiritual intent. And yet Jesus responds with a question of his own. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. You might think, whoa, Jesus, don't you know who this is? Are you not impressed by his seemingly dedication to you and his wonderful question that he is asked, but Jesus, being God, is not impressed with externals. He's impressed with the heart. Jesus goes on to recite the law and then says to him, give away all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And that passage ends that the man went away saddened because he had much wealth. See, Jesus does the same as Joshua here. Basically, he says to this man, you're not ready. You don't understand the cost. You're not ready to remove all gods, all idols from your life. It's only until you do that can you come. And we see that money and possessions were his true God, were his true idol. He was truly not ready to follow Jesus in that moment, even though from outward appearances it would seem like he was. And the same is true for us tonight. If we could apply this to our own hearts and lives, let me ask you, are you willing to make that same commitment? And do you understand the cost in serving the Lord? And I know I speak to the Sunday night crowd, and you might say, am I not showing my dedication to the Lord by being here? So many other things that I could be doing. And yes, indeed you are. But let me say that that is only one part. And in many ways, this is the easiest part. But this week you'll go out again. And are you willing to stand for Christ in the workplace? Are you willing to speak a word of truth in a place where there is no truth? And are you willing to be slandered and mistreated, cut off, and cheated, and yet not return evil for evil or retaliate? Are you willing to be an exile and a sojourner in this world as we even saw this morning? Or is it trying to fit in, being an insider of more value to you? I heard one time a 
very prominent man said, I gave up being quote-unquote respectable in the eyes of the world the day I decided to follow Christ. And that is somewhat of the cost that we're speaking about here. The cost that it takes to follow the Lord and be dedicated to Him. And we know at this very present time, even as we prayed earlier, that there is many in this world that are suffering loss and persecution because of their faith. And I hope things don't come to that here, but it may. And even then, are we willing to say, I choose the Lord. I choose to fear and serve Him only. Joshua and even Jesus would say to us tonight, it's, it's easy to make a commitment in the confines of the church building. It's easy to sing, I surrender all. But it's another way to live that way. To understand the cost of following the Lord. I love in our membership vows So you become a member of this church. One of the vows that we take is I now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. All of us, I think, that are in this place have taken that vow. And we need to be reminded of that again and again. Are you sure? Does your life reflect it? Do others look at you and say, yes, that is a follower of Jesus Christ? If it is not for the grace of God, I don't think any of us could say yes. But because God has given us His grace, because He has given us His Spirit, then, Lord willing, we are able. But we must examine the cost and the commitment. Well, third, then, we have the covenant renewal as Joshua pushes back, the people again rightly respond. Verse 21, they say, no, but we will serve the Lord. In a sense, Joshua says, okay, I didn't pressure you into saying this. You have made this on your own. You have made this vow before God. You are witnesses this day. In verse 23, Joshua then makes a covenant with the people that day. And I don't think this is a new covenant. This was a continuation of the covenant that was already in place. This is a covenant renewal service. And as a result, Joshua sets up a reminder to them. In verse 26, he puts a large stone and sets it under the terebinth tree. It's an interesting side note, but it might be the very same tree that we read about in Genesis 35 where Joshua, making a commitment to God, takes all the gods, the foreign gods, and buries them. This is in verse 4 of Genesis 35. Jacob buried them underneath the terebinth tree that was in Shechem. But this place, again, where they are meeting is the place where Jacob wholeheartedly decided to follow the Lord. And in a sense, all of Israel is making that same commitment. We will follow the Lord. We will do that which the Lord has commanded. And as a result, the covenant is renewed. And I think this is a good thing to do. 
Many, especially in the South, perhaps of a little different faith persuasion than us, have revivals that they put on, have altar calls and times of rededication. I've often heard from fellow Presbyterians, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could be like the Baptists or the Charismatics and have these rededication services? Wouldn't that be helpful to our faith? And my response is, we do. It's every time we have the sacraments given to us. Every time that we see the waters of baptism being poured out. Every time we have the breaking of bread and the pouring out of the cup, we are entering into the same covenant renewal that Joshua and the people of Israel are entering into in this place, in Shechem. There, as we see the sacraments, we give the history, the history of God's faithfulness to us, the faithfulness of God given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, we're called to re-examine our lives, to make sure that we are really looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are putting away all sins before we would partake in this sacraments. To eat and to drink is to renew Renew that union, once again, that we have with Christ. Even when we have this baptism, not all of us are being baptized, but in a sense we are, because we are reminded of our own baptism every time we see the waters of baptism. And we are to live our lives accordingly. So all the sacraments are signs. And not altogether different than the sign set up here by Joshua. These are permanent reminders that we belong to the Lord. So as we conclude then, the covenant is renewed again and again with you and with me. And it will be continually renewed until it comes to its fulfillment, comes to its consummation in that final day when Jesus Christ comes back and we have the great wedding feast of the Lamb. But until then, may we count the cost. And again, this day, may we choose this day whom we will serve. And may it be in our hearts that we will serve the Lord, being reminded that that will have great cost. But that great cost is well worth it in the light of God's glory. And grace. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for entering into covenant with us. Lord, we are so blessed to have you be our covenant God and for us to be your people. And Lord, even as Joshua would plead to the people, We know that it is ultimately the Holy Spirit that pleads through him and even pleads to us to make such a dedication unto God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask that we would be faithful all of our days. Lord, when we know our hearts and we know that we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, we ask, O Lord, that in those moments we would remember the great joy and delight, the great sacrifice that has been made on our behalf. 
And once again, may we renew our commitments and be faithful to you in all of our ways. Lord, we pray that you would help us and enable us. For we pray this in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.